Showcase Sundays today on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Good morning and welcome one and all to the Sonic Society, the world's largest showcase of modern audio drama. I'm fairly rushed today with a full slate, so I'll let my co-host David Ald explain. Yes, good morning everyone again. Uh, This week we are pleased to present the Monster Hunters from Definitely Humid Productions and Nowhere on Air from Jessica Syrett. And both pilots begin right here on the Sonic Society. The Monster Hunters. Episode 1. The Discotheque of Nights. It is midnight, Count Orloff. New Year is upon us. Yes, it is now 1771, the year of my triumph. The time of blood is upon us. All will bow down before my power. I, Count Orloff, will rise. Rise like a mighty... Not if I can help it, Count. Do you mind? I was in the middle of that. Oh, oh where was I? Oh, yes. Rise like a mighty eagle soaring through the... Have at you, sir. Oh, fine. Go on, then. (laughs) Your skills with the blade are impressive. Cheers. I have had 500 years practice. (laughs) Oh, my sword! (laughs) Ow, my knee! (laughs) And now you are at my mercy. Finally, the great Ignatius Chesterfield will kneel before me. Uh, I I can't. It hurts too much. Okay, fine. Just squat. It's all the same to me. Very soon you will be dead, and I will have mild indigestion. It's always the same when I eat after midnight. Now, where shall I start? (laughs) Your breath, that smell, I can't penetrate its fragrant barrier. Garlic, sir. Surely you don't expect me to meet you unprotected. And there's something else you've forgotten. What's that? This, my secret steak. What? Well, that's not fair. How could I have forgotten that? I never even knew about it. Ah, gotcha. What? No! Two hundred years ago, the forces of evil were finally vanquished into hell. For years, the city of London slept. Until now. For today, in this year of our Lord, 1971, the evil has returned to challenge our modern world. And modern horrors need modern heroes. Roy Steele, second best big game hunter in the world. Fighter, lover, a man of action with all the actions of a man. And Lorimer Chesterfield, leading professor of occult studies at London's London University, legend handler and science wrangler. Take two elements, any two elements, say electricity and water. On their own, perfectly harmless. But when you mix them together, maybe in a bowl, dynamite. My name is Sir Maxwell House. I took those two elements and, like some kind of scientific blacksmith, I forged them together. Forged them into a team that would look danger in the eye and bring it down with the knowledge of a man and the fist of a man. They are the Monster Hunters. Born free. (laughs) I love that movie. Those lions. And when they make them play golf with the thing... You know, the stork. Suki, stop looking like that and fix my guests a scotch. You cats want a scotch? Of course you do. Better just be a single for you, Chesterfield. You're driving. That's three scotches, Suki, and some of those little biscuits. Why are we here, Sir Maxwell? That's a good question, Roy. A damn good question. And? And what? The answer? To what? Oh, to the question. Right, come in, gentlemen. We're in. Well done. Take a look at these photographs. What photographs? What? Oh, yes. Silky, the photographs. Gosh, 
Girls? Mm, lovely. In the last seven months, five girls have been found dead. Their bodies left on building sites. Bodies drained of blood. Not so lovely. Quite. When the police investigated, they discovered that each of these girls had visited the discotheque of nights on the evening of their murder. What is this discotheque of nights? Sounds like some kind of a nightclub. Bang on, Roy. It is a nightclub. The discotheque of nights is London's hottest new night spot. Really? I've not heard of it. But if you were a pretty young lady, things would be very different. You're telling me. While you've been in Saint-Tropez, your day's filled with trampolines and... fish. Whatever you youngsters are up to these days, the discotheque of nights has cemented itself as the place for the young of London to play. I see. So you believe this establishment to be the centre of some kind of vampiric epidemic? Worse than that, Professor Chesterfield. Do you do know where this club is? Look, Sir Maxwell, I'm not a knower. I'm a doer. I don't need to know where Mm. somewhere is to go there. I employ a man for that kind of thing. If I was to say Whitechapel, if I was to say it was on the site of a ruined monastery, and if I was to tell you the name of that monastery was St Basil the Great... Sir Maxwell... Surely you're not saying someone has been foolish enough to... Yes. No. Yes. What? Yes. 200 years ago, on that very site, the most fearsome vampire ever to stalk London was put to death, staked through his heart. A heart filled not with blood, but with evil. Evil blood. Indeed. You don't mean Count Orloff. That's where you're wrong, Roy. We do mean Count Orloff. Jesus. So you wish us to purge this discotheque of its vampiric influence? We must start at once. Every minute we delay could result in the corruption of more innocence. Whoa, 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 Lorimer. Put those stakes away. This situation calls for subtlety. Subtlety and tact. Is that because the place will be entirely full of girls? Yes. Also, it's only 10.30 in the morning. <laughs> you cats are great. Seriously, you crack me up. I love you like brothers or something. Or my own sons. Now get out of my house. Well, here we are, Lorimer, old man. The discotheque of nights. Look at it. A veritable temple devoted to ladies. And every one of them are lovely. Hello, madam. Uh, Roy, I don't really feel comfortable with this. We should just get to work and be out of here as soon as we can. Now, wait just a minute there, fella. We need to mingle with all these young ladies and find out everything we can. Hopefully it will lead us to the source of the vampiric activity. To count all off himself. To do that, we have to use the wonderful gifts that nature has given us. And talk to them. And talk? To girls? What could be simpler? Oh, God. What's wrong, old fella? Uh, Roy, I'll admit something to you, and I'll admit this. I haven't spoken to a woman in 12 months. What? Since... That's right. After my wife was killed, I couldn't even look at another woman. For three months. Seriously, if I looked at a woman, I was physically sick. Now, I can look, but only from afar. I haven't gone as far as speaking to one. Lorimer, what happened to you was a terrible, terrible tragedy. But you can't let that ruin your life. I know, Roy. It's just, every time I go up to a woman, I see her face. Look, if it makes it easier for you, think of a woman as a bit like a man. Don't be a fool. No, listen. In many ways, your life is easier than mine. When I see a woman, I see a beautiful lady. Someone to take out on the town. Maybe take her to the park, show her the ducks. And then afterwards, when we've made a connection, a real physical connection, maybe I'll take her back to my penthouse apartment in Mayfair and cook her a branded instant soup. It's not something I can help. It's my calling. It's what I was put on God's marvellous world to do. But you, yours is a world of facts. You need to see a woman like you see a fact. In a book. Well, we don't have time for that. Just imagine she's an equation, ready to be solved. I'm not really a mathematician. Whatever. What if I thought of her as a mystery, ready to be uncovered? Yeah, yeah, you do that. Let's get to it. This cravat doesn't wear itself. But where to begin? There are so many of them. Well, we've all had that problem. But look at them closely. If I know my girls, that over there is the daughter of Lord Stockton English, the shipping baron. And that is the young ward of Sir Thorley Blackwell, Minister of Fine Foods. Wait, that's Lydia Beryl Feinliner, the niece of the Home Secretary. How do you know all this, Roy? I study the papers. And by papers you mean ladies? Yes, I do. Roy, over at the bar, isn't that a woman? Lorimer Chesterfield, 
If I didn't know you better, I'd say you were quite the ornithologist. Well, I do own a pair of binoculars. Not now, fella. Time and a place. Ooh. Ooh. Hang on a minute. Roy, where are you going? Come back. I can't help it. It's like I'm drawn to her by a mysterious force, and I don't want it to stop. What do I do? You find one of your own. Hang loose, Lorimer. Stay cool. I don't know what either of those things mean. Oh, he's gone. Uh, right. Well, um, okay, I'm looking for a woman. Hello there. Hello. I saw you looking at me. I just had to meet you. Understandable. My name is... Roy Steele, yes, I know. The world's second greatest big game hunter. Second? We rarely have men of such calibre in the discotheque of nights. I have some friends who would be very interested in meeting you. Yes, but second best. Wounded pride, Mr. Steele. I would have thought better of you. After all the stories my friends and I have heard of you, they sound so exciting. Well, in that case, please, call me Roy. Drink, Roy. Thanks. Two Bloody Marys and easy on the Mary. An exotic drink for an exotic lady. You should meet my friends. I intend to. Hello. Yes. What? I mean, hello. (laughs) You seem nervous. Sorry, it's because I'm nervous. You shouldn't be, you know. You're a very alluring man. Oh, I I wouldn't know about that. No, really. You have a presence. I'm sure you say that to all the men. Oh, hang on, no, that sounded bad. Sorry, I meant you must have a lot of men. No, wait, sorry. No, I meant you must be be very practised in the art of... uh, No, hang on. Um, It has been a long time since you spoke to a woman, I think. I've sent them letters. Well, I say letters, I mean memos. I have a secretary. Please stay with me. I am Carlotta, Dark Knight. What an exotic name. My name is Lorimer Chesterfield. Professor Lorimer Chesterfield. It is a good thing you have come here. You need to relax, to let yourself go. I'm afraid that would be impossible. I'm here on business. Business? Yes, my dear. I'm an academic. I work at London's London University. And what business could an academic have at the discotheque of nights? I'm looking for vampires. You're you're looking for... I can see you. You're not a threat, so if you'll excuse me, I'll just... You're going. Well, yes. What else would I do with you? A drink? Um, I I shouldn't really. I'm on duty. On duty? I thought you said you were an academic. What duties does an academic have? I'm also a monster hunter. Uh, Wait, so you weren't kidding about the vampire thing? Absolutely not. Joking about something like that could get you killed. Oh, really? No, it's true. My fellow professor, Professor Gudgeon, made a joke about a vampire once. The next day, dead. Killed by a vampire? No, he was hit by a car. But I'm pretty sure the car was being driven by a vampire. Pretty sure? Well, I hope so. I blew it up. One of the signs of vampirism is reckless driving. And not having a reflection. Garlic? No, thanks. Look, I must get on. No, stay! Your, Your life sounds very... interesting. Maybe we could get to know each other better. They have private rooms in the back. And these private rooms, they're not very far. Just follow me, darling. I would follow you anywhere. Within reason. I've got a lot to do tonight. Don't you want to meet my friends? Are they all as lovely as you? Lovelier. And so hungry. Hey. For the company of a real man. You are a real man. Oh, yes. Look, I have a certificate. This is it. Through this door? Through this door, 20 of my friends, all eager to meet Roy Steele. Well, that I can help with. Good evening, ladies. Welcome. I see you've noticed my eyes. Aren't they lovely? Oh, yes. Well, they're very... Oh, that's odd. What? Well, earlier on I could have sworn they were brown, but now I see they're a lovely red colour. Red with passion. Ah, I see. 
Well, anyway, I better be off. Take care. No, wait! Yes? Stay with me. Well, I suppose I could, just for a bit. Good boy. Tell me more of these vampires. Well, you often find one head vampire who changes pretty young ladies into vampires. So you're on the lookout for pretty young ladies? Well, yes, I suppose so. You see, these ladies then coax gullible men to their dooms so they can drink their blood. And how do they do that? Usually quite obvious methods. They sit them down, flirt with them, seduce them, probably buy them a drink. I see. Would you like a drink? Well, all right then. And then? What would a vampire do next? Well, once she's lured him into a false sense of security, she would probably just expose his neck and go in for the kill. I see. Would you like a massage? Oh, thanks very much. Hmm. Hmm. Good. I must say, this is very pleasant. I was prepared to come here tonight just for work, to hunt for monsters. But after meeting you, I feel there might be more to the world than just vampires. Are you all right, my dear? You sound a little throaty. Oh, it's it's nothing. I have sinus problems. Oh, really? My aunt was a martyr to her sinuses. But enough of aunts. Relax. Enjoy. Pleasure. Oh, Carlotta, this, this is... Oh, I feel wonderful. Oh, yes. Yes. I haven't been this relaxed and unguarded in years. Close your eyes, darling. Lorimer! Get away from him, Satan's lovely! Roy, what on earth? She's a vampire! What? Are you sure? Look at her teeth, man! Oh, oh yes, so she is. That's it. Come to Papa, you she-bitch! Careful, Roy. I know what you like around young women. Ha! Ooh! Ooh. Unhand him, you sinful vixen! Hello there. Roy, don't be fooled by her vampiric charms. It's too late for that. Your crucifix, Roy! Use your crucifix! Shut it, Lorimer. This is man's work. Don't listen to him, my darling. Shh. It's just you and me. Hold on, Roy. In my pocket. Ha! Have some of this! Darling, you wouldn't use that steak on me, would you? You'd miss me. I never miss. Well, she's certainly dead. I'd stake my reputation on it. Do you have to? Yes. Yes, I do. So, you keep a stake in your trousers? Yes. What? Nothing. Why are you covered in blood? I had a bit of a run-in with a group of evil devil women. Oh, sounds nasty. Well, I've had worse. If only we knew what was going on here. Oh, I do. You do? Yes. I managed to get a confession out of the harpies in the back room. It seems that Count Orloff has been converting the prettiest and most influential ladies who frequent this place into vampires. The goal is to use them to gain access to the most powerful men in London and eventually take over the country. Then the world. I see. And the women that were found dead? Ones that didn't make the grade. If the girls were deemed not attractive or important enough, they were discarded. Oh, how horrible. Well, we've all been there. You have to have standards. You're a bad, bad man, Roy Steele. Thanks. So, what's next? We need to find Count Orloff. If we can destroy him, all the ladies who he's turned will become human again. Sold. So, how do we find this Count Orloff? If I know my head vampires, we won't need to. He will have been watching this whole time, and he will come to us. All we need do is wait. Very well. Drink? Well, why not? Roy, I need to tell you something. I've done extensive research into the history of Count Orloff. He's a bad one, Roy. Two hundred years ago, during his tyrannical reign of terror, many monster hunters tried to defeat him. All of them failed. I know all that. No, you don't understand. Here, on this ground, in 1771, he was defeated. And the man who defeated him was Ignatius Chesterfield. No! Yes! No! Yes! Sorry, who is Ignatius Chesterfield? My great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. No! Yes! No! Sorry, can we stop this? There's a lot to get through. Yeah, sorry. Go on. He knew that although he had cleansed the world of Count Orloff's poison, there was always a chance he would return. He made my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather swear that if Count Orloff rose again, the Chesterfield family would be ready. Don't you see, Roy? That's why I became Professor of Occult Studies at London's London University. That's why I accepted Sir Maxwell House's offer. Right. Is this going anywhere? In times of great danger, 
When it seemed the Count Orloff might strike again, I was to prepare a protection, first discovered in Italy. A recipe invented by my family to protect the world against vampires. A protection used by Ignatius Chesterfield himself when he faced Count Orloff. And here it is. My God. What is it? A garlic baguette. Here, eat this. Its powers will protect you against Count Orloff. Garlic? Are you mad? There are still tens of ladies in here. What's that? It sounds to me like entrance music. We better get ready. It's Count Orloff. Yes, well done. <laughs> well, well, gentlemen. Here we are. Are we? Uh, yes. You have made your way to my humble discotheque. Here you will dance the final dance. The dance of death. I don't do dancing, Orloff. But I do do staking. What? No, no, it's fine. It works. Well, are you going to stake him then? <laughs> ah! My arm! I can't move! Roy, you didn't eat the garlic bread. He's using his vampire powers on you. <laughs> That's it. Kneel before me. No, no, it's it's Roy. Is this the best they concerned against me? An idiot and a chef? No chef, Count Orloff. Look again. Hang on. I know that face. Yes, you do. For I no, am... No, wait, don't tell me. I, I, I'm, I'm getting there. I am... I said wait! There's something about your pointy nose, your square chin, hair like silky straw. Two hundred years ago, on this very spot... Hang on, with the nose, see something, Chessman. That's right, Count Orloff, Chesterfield. That's it. You know, that was on the tip of my tongue, as you will be shortly. What? Uh, Never mind, I thought of that in the shower. And you... You are the last of the Chesterfield line. Your ancestor did indeed stop me, but only temporarily. I slumbered, wounded, but still undead. If he failed to stop me once and for all, what chance do you have? (laughs) It is fitting that it should be the blood of my mortal enemy that marks the restoration of my empire of blood. Watch, Chesterfield, as I nibble on your friend! Lorimer! What's the matter, Orloff? Mm. You need to feed on the weakest creature in the room? Can't deal with a real man? Now hang on. How dare you! I could swallow you in three gulps. Prove it. Very well. See how I advance on you. Yes? See how I bear my fangs at you and... (laughs) Garlic! You nasty man! Glorimer, your garlicky breath has freed me from his mental hold. (sighs) Good. Are you ready? The stake's in hand. (sighs) You still think you can best me? You forget one thing. What? Look around you. Look at the ladies of the discotheque of nights, all bent to my will. Lorimer, he's bent the ladies. Ow! Oh, careful. This one's hitting me with a table. And in minutes you will be dead. Quick, Roy, we must dispatch him. But Lorimer, he's so powerful. The ladies, ow! Stop that. Think of it this way. If we kill him, all of these ladies will be released from his spell. And they'll all want to thank you. Good point. Get him. With your stake... And your crucifix? These children's toys might be enough to destroy a lesser creature, but I... (laughs) Yes, but I also have this vial of holy water. Bucker! Now, Roy, splash him. (laughs) Give him your bread as I stake him. Good idea. No! Eat the bread. Eat it. (laughs) Oh, spicy. That's not too bad. Well, here he is, Sir Maxwell. Count Orloff's earthly remains, now naught but ash in this jar. Roy Steele, Professor Lorimer Chesterfield. What are you doing in my house? Suki, hide the silverware! Think about it, Sir Maxwell. What? Something about the grouting. Oh no, the vampire! That's right! We have managed to dispatch the demon, trapping his earthly remains and freeing all his victims forever. Yes, he's certainly out for the count. We can count on never seeing him again. We've closed his account. Please, stop it. No! More! In this jar, Sir Maxwell, Mm. are the remaining ashes of Orloff. It is vital this jar remains sealed and stored in a safe place. I wondered what you were doing on your hands and knees. Yes, Roy. Thanks for your assistance. Where did you disappear to, anyway? Well, remember what Orloff said about a hundred vampire ladies? Yes. And remember what you said about how Orloff's death would free the ladies? Oh, no. Oh, yes. Free ladies. (laughs) Hmm. 
Excellent. Good work, Roy. Um, you know, I didn't know you cats had it in you. Suki, call those other guys up. Tell them we won't need them after all. Sir Maxwell, it is vitally important these ashes are placed into top security storage immediately. Uh-huh. The fate of the world rests upon it. Should they get yeah, free... Yeah, yeah, okay. You guys deserve some time off. Now you're talking. <laughs> Roy, Roy, I've been talking all this time. You two run along. I think you can leave these ashes with me. If you're sure. Please leave now. You know, Lorimer, have you ever met a little blonde girl called Trudy? No, I can't say I have. Well, you have now. I told her I was friends with a milk tray man. But I don't look like the milk tray man. No, it's fine. I told her to stand very far away. Roy, Lorimer. Hello. Oh, they've gone. Well, Suki, another job well done. What say you? Fine. Bye, then. Well, what's a cat got to do to get a drink around here? Damn. Suki, get a broom. And they've spilled some kind of... What is that? Some kind of potpourri or something. Suki! 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 (laughs) I'm not actually dead! The Discotheque of Nights was written and directed by Peter Davis and Matthew Woodcock. With Simon Dylan Kane as Count Orloff and Sir Maxwell House, Peter Davis as Ignatius and Laura Chesterfield, Matthew Woodcock as Roy Steele, Laura Marshall as Yutta the Vampire Lady, Amy Larkham as Carlotta Dark Knight, and the Eversley Singers as the Evil Devil Women. Engineered and edited by Peter Davis. Music and sound effects supplied by Chaotic Creations. With thanks to Heather Duell, Laura Davis and Emma Gibbs. Visit our website at www.themonsterhunters.com. This was a Newgate production. And that's when I discovered that Juliet Bravo is the name of the programme and not the name of the character. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hello there. Hello. Welcome to Behind the Monster Hunters, the making of the Monster Hunters, with the Monster Hunters. This is Peter Davis and Matthew Woodcock. Good evening. And we're here to talk to you about... The Monster Hunters. Indeed we are. So, hi, how are you? I'm I'm well. Good. Um, are, are you well? I'm all right, thank you. How are you at home? I don't want to talk about it. No, that's fine. So, we're beginning with episode one, the Discotheque of Nights. Ah, those were the days. So, Matthew, where, Hello. Did, where did you first meet Peter Davis? Where <laughs> did... That you 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 were oh that's me isn't that's it? you Sorry. right yeah well I first met you many years ago the year I believe was two thousand and two two it would have two. been yeah it would have 2002. been two thousand two and we were at, at the London's, London's the London Dungeon London's <laughs> worst attraction yes as they called it what were we what were you doing I was an actor you were playing different characters like Jack the Ripper and a horrible torturer and a judge if you'd come down the London Dungeon in about two thousand and two. 2003 and thought, oh, I'm going to get a really educational view of, <laughs> of some of London's of London. horrific history. Oh, Jack the Ripper, that's a really You would have got Matthew pretending thing. to be a French sailor talking about sponges. So we've done some different comedy shows. Yeah, we did uh, a version of Hamlet involving a sock puppet. We did a Doctor Who play and we did a Sherlock Holmes play. After that, we did Sherlock Holmes for wireless, didn't we? Yeah, for the wireless theatre company. Which yeah. we did Sherlock Holmes Strikes Back, which is still available from other sources, in which we set it in the 1940s. Yes. Sherlock Holmes in the 1940s fighting the Nazis. And why not? So that was you, me, Laura Day, Laura... Laura Marshall. Laura Marshall. Yeah, as she was at that time, <laughs> before nearly, I married her. Nearly let <laughs> yeah. the cat out of the bag. Uh, Simon came. Simon came, and uh, was it pa- was pa- Panny? Panny. Panny Scrivaros. Who was, uh, who was in Monster Hunters as well. Yes, indeed. So it was basically Sherlock Holmes Strikes so, Back. Yeah. If you want to know where the Monster Hunters started, I would go and listen to that. And then... 
this is all your fault, really, because Matthew was a big fan of the old Hammer horror films, yeah. which uh, I hadn't really seen much of before we started this venture. Um, so where did the idea come from in your brain? Can you remember? Well, I was walking through Windsor Great Park. Oh, here we go. As you do. As you do. <laughs> I think I was walking through Windsor Great Park, and you I think I was... by a werewolf! I was, I was walking through Windsor Great Park, and I suddenly was thinking about... Because I also like... Um, Stuff like The Persuaders and The Avengers. Lots of old 1960s TV shows that were and early 70s TV shows, which are a bit like... They're all very, very similar to each other. They're all <laughs> kind of the, a, a specific formula of, of a playboy adventurer going around beating up criminals or spies. Lots of moustaches. And a lot of moustaches. So things like Jason King and particularly The Persuaders with... Roger Moore and mm-hmm. Tony Curtis. So there is a very large dollop of that in it, and there is a very large dollop of Hammer, particularly if you want to set text for the Monster Hunters. I would suggest Dracula AD 1972. They bring Dracula back to life, basically, and then it's all set to in... To the modern world of 1972. With miniskirts and coffee bars, and it's basically the groovy 70s through the prism of people who probably weren't very groovy anymore. No. And I think that's why I like it, because it's just kind of yeah. slightly off. So we did it as a play, the play version. Of the first at, London Horror Festival. Yeah, the London Horror Festival. Which is in London, which is the capital city of the United yeah. Kingdom. And it's a performing arts festival uh, every October. It's Indeed. still going on. It's very, still. very good. It's from strength to strength. And um, in the play, uh, the main story was revolved around the discotheque of nights. That was the genesis. And then we said... Why don't we do a podcast? Yeah, well, I'd been doing some radio plays already yeah. um, as a as a editor and sound designer, that sort of thing. So we knew we could do it. All you need really is is time. You don't need those costumes at all. You don't. We were naked. We did. We do every episode naked. Yeah, and because of That's you know exclusive. rustling fibers and that sort of that, thing. It's just it's freeing. It's more relaxing for us as performers. Yeah. So yeah, we decided to do it as a radio play, um, and then we thought we'd release it as a as a podcast. Well, yeah, well, yeah, it's an audio because we were never formally commissioned for radio, and, and, and at the time nobody was really doing that anyway. Don't think it wasn't no, exactly we, we were the first much. ever podcast. We were the first. <laughs> the we actually invented the. T- I think we it, did. wasn't it one it of was, us that came up with yeah. the word podcast? It was. Yeah. Yeah. That's not. That's we, not true. It, um, but it, we were, it, it was true. fairly early on in the whole podcasting it wasn't, thing. It wasn't as big as it is now. No. We decided the, the we'd split the play into into the three stories we had and write an additional new, new three, three stories and make a six-part series. That'll so the work. first episode was the discotheque of Nights, which we had done most of as a yeah. live play. I don't think it needed that much rewriting, did it? it was, no, not really. We were, The main thing I remember we needed to do was bolt together the sequences and remove mm. the, the, the discotheque of night sequences and then remove the bits that linked it to the yeah. the little the stories that we were going to do later on in the series so it was kind of removing anything that pushed into a flashback uh, yeah and that's where Count Orloff was born as well yes. which we had obviously done on stage before played by Simon Kane, who is also an alumni of the dungeon we worked with him yeah in fact in all, all of those actors yeah everybody we, we worked a- with Amy Larkham and Laura Marshall Lawrence everyone was from the dungeon pretty much because we had a good tight group of actors there yeah. who we knew would be able to handle this kind of stuff and we all gelled together very easily so yeah. it was kind of like we had a shorthand I think the biggest difference I noticed listening to it again from later episodes is that Sir Maxwell House is probably a bit more competent he is I noticed that as well yeah I, listening recently. and I noticed that he doesn't actually get he's not a, he's not a massive about. moron at the beginning no he, that changes in about episode 3 he's, spoilers he's suddenly a bit so listen out for that mm-hmm. but um, he in that he can hold a conversation in yeah. the first one he knows what he's doing which we didn't yeah. we didn't carry that on for very long <laughs> And of course it ends with Sir Maxwell knocking over the the ashes and we didn't actually have any particular specific plans at the time what to do with Orloff next but we knew that we wanted to leave that open to bring him back. That also comes from that fact that you know, at the end of every Dracula film, Dracula... Yeah, he, he dies forever, and then they bring him back. And then they back. bring him back. <laughs> so later. you kind of... You want you want to have him available. Yeah, and he might come back. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> well, we do. Yeah. Because we, we wrote, wrote it. it. And it's yeah. been about six years. Yeah. 
maybe longer. I can't remember. Well, I think that's about it on the first episode, Discotheque at Nights. I believe so it is. We will join you at the end of the second episode to talk more about that one. Episode two, The Heir of the Dog. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Peter. Anytime. I will keep that in mind. And we'll be back in your ears very soon. Yes. Prepare yourselves. Goodbye. Looking for a new podcast to listen to? Here's what we love, courtesy of ACAST Recommends. This is a story about a model Boy Scout. He won all the medals. And a cool Scout Master. Being cool is code for getting high. And then there was a gunshot. And everything changed. A solid friendship. They were pals. Chuck said numerous times that Richie was like a son to him. Until betrayal led to violence. I pray to God that that's not Richie. A bizarre mechanism causes a tragic death. So this was a booby trap, and it was lethal. Please join us for Season 1 of the Miami Chronicles Booby Trap. Subscribe now, wherever you get your podcasts. A-Cash recommends. Where is nowhere? Nestled in between the gently rolling prairies and mountains looming on the horizon is a little town, like an uncharted island in an ocean of empty wilderness, waiting. Welcome back, folks, to your favorite radio show. It's me, your host and pal, Jess. You might know me better as the lady who lives in the trailer on the edge of town. You know, the trailer that local kids like to throw rocks at after school. And you're listening to 11.10am on that radio dial. Nowhere on air. The only late-night, community-run radio show in this slice of the Alberta Expanse. Before we get into today's stories, we have a few housekeeping announcements to make. Due to recent totally fine, municipally enforced budget cuts that were announced at the last town meeting, we don't have the money to have any real popular music on air anymore. We'll still do our best to get as much late night fun and news as we can and spice up the breaks in between. However, I'm sure the money's being put to good use going towards things like, like, other underfunded things. Like Town Council's secret emergency fund for some impending, looming, terrible thing that we all know is coming. Apparently. Also, the show is no longer broadcasting at 3 a.m. at the repetitious request of a number of our older listeners, so as you may have noticed, we are now coming to you live at 8 p.m., which is certainly better for my sleep schedule, I must admit. But also, unfortunately, due to the aforementioned budget decrease, a town council choice which I am in no way upset about, today marks our intern slash 
all-around super helpful employee Jordan's last day at the station. I want to thank Jordan on air for all her hard work and the blood, sweat, and tears she shed for the sake of community radio. Be proud of everything you accomplished. All the experience you gained, scars you earned, and secret knowledge learned that you can never share because no one will believe. We will miss you, and from the two of us left here at the station, please stay in touch. Now, Jordan, like the sweetheart she is, got me a little thank you gift, and it has been sitting here on my desk since I got here, but I promised I would wait until we were on air to open it, but, well, I'm excited. She insisted it wasn't much, and she found it at the thrift store in the basement of the Anglican church, but, okay, okay, let's open this. It's a mug. <laughs> My very own mug that I can drink coffee and rainwater out of. And it says, World's Best Grandpa. This is the best gift I have ever been given. Jordan, I can see her in the booth and her cheeks are rosy with blood rush. Thank you. I'm not kidding. We will miss you. We miss you already. And it's official. I'm your grandpa now. This week's first story. A dream I had last night and the sense of inevitability and dread it filled me with that I haven't been able to shake. I'm at a diner. Not Mountain View Diner, just a diner. Picture a diner and you're probably seeing it. Walls, floors, ceiling, windows, the works. I sit down in the booth, the last one in the far corner, and someone comes and sits across from me. It's me. No shorter, no taller, not really older in the conventional sense, but aged. Like, we lived the same amount of years up until that point, but there was more life and happening and heartbreak jammed into hers. Her eyes are the same green as mine, but they look tired. She has scars, some old, some fresh. Her palms are rough and calloused. I know this because she reaches across the cool linoleum table and grabs my hands. And it's at that moment I realize up until this point in the dream there has been no sound and nothing casts a shadow, but when she touches my hands, the world fixes itself, or she, I mean, me, the me that's not me, fixes everything. Then she opens her mouth to speak, and I can tell by the look in my, her eyes that she's about to say something, about to unfold before me some wisdom I have been searching for my whole life, some secret knowledge bruised so deep within me that I don't even know how to find the ache on my own. But just as she parts her lips to form those words, I wake up. Dreams are weird, aren't they? Our brains talking to themselves while we sleep, telling us stories that seldom make sense but are somehow overflowing with the meaning we give them.
Now the news. We've had a few reports of sightings of the town founder, Elmer Braden Jameson, tonight along Main Street, right through the middle of town at the second and last set of lights. If you come across him, be sure to pay him respect and wish him a happy birthday. 185 is a big deal, or so I'm told by my otherworldly friends. There have also been reports that the river was fuller than usual of memories today. And furthermore, weather forecast predictions say that this will continue for the rest of the week and on into next week. Weatherman Todd Stevenson attributes both of these reports to the fact that the town's 150th birthday is next week. Thursday, to be precise. As a reminder to all residents of Brayden, if you are down by the river and choose to enter the water, don't panic if the appearance of the reflection on the surface is not consistent with your own. Simply wish the memory peace, move carefully to a new waiting spot, and under no circumstances give it your name. Speaking of Brayden's 150th birthday, keep your eyes peeled for town-wide centennial and a half festivities and events starting Sunday afternoon with a new, special exhibit opening up at the museum about pieces of Brayden's history. Tickets can be purchased in person, over the phone, or via carrier pigeon. Here's an insider tip. Get your ticket for as early a tour as you can. Who knows how long the exhibit about the controversial and morally problematic parts of the town's past will stay uncensored by our benevolent town council, but I promise you those are the most interesting parts. Now, a public service announcement. If you are ever going out onto the prairies by yourself, tell somebody you are venturing out. If something should happen to you, they may not ever find you, but at least they'll know where to start looking. Remember, you're not lost if no one is looking for you. It's easy to forget the things that walk away and out onto the open fields. The horizon is very far away. The openness swallows you up like the mouth of a hungry cosmic being sucking you into oblivion. This concludes our public service announcement. Here's a little fun fact for you listeners. While Brayden may have been founded 150 years ago, it didn't start existing in the conventional sense until about 60 years ago. Isn't that interesting? Inexplicable, but interesting. Weatherman Todd says a meteor shower if the clouds decide we can watch, will be visible tonight. As per is customary and compulsory, all lights must be switched off when this stellar light show starts, so we can see it as clearly and safely as possible. And so it cannot see us. It is scheduled to start within the next two hours and may last quite far into the night. In other news, our local RCMP office released a statement today saying the Dogman alert level was lowered from blood red danger to crimson high. I think this deserves a celebration, don't you? The Mountain View Diner certainly does, 
and is offering half off a cup of coffee and a slice of pie until Wednesday night. Congratulations, Brayden. Those midnight howls in Old Man Wilbur's field seem to be working as an effective deterrent. Keep up the good work. Here's your Daily Dose of Traffic, Night Edition. Be wary about welcoming hitchhikers into your vehicle, especially along Route 22 and Highway 3. People are seldom who they say they are, and, I mean, you never know where they've been. They could be dangerous, like a hitchhiking serial killer or the vengeful spirit of someone killed by a hitchhiking serial killer, or one of Farmer Crawford's boys trying to skip town again. Ethan, if you're listening, please go on home. And now, here's a word from an anonymous sponsor. It's been a while since we've had one of those. There is a meeting happening at the old abandoned steel corn set on the north edge of the county at 8.32 p.m. on Wednesday. If you were not already aware of this meeting, this doesn't concern you. If you have to ask what the meeting is about, this doesn't concern you. If this meeting doesn't concern you and you show up, it will be the last meeting you ever attend. Folks, with the town's anniversary coming up, I've been thinking about, well, past-related things. Like, history. The things that happened in the way back when. And how they leave their mark on the land and on us. Even a century later, our lives are shaped and impacted by the lives of people who lived so long ago. Their joys, their toils, their hopes, their dreams, their mistakes. Those that came before us will always be a part of us. That's a given the things they did well, the things they didn't do so well. The things that happened to them, we carry it. Sometimes in ways we don't realize. Or our knowledge, our new insights and understanding can turn the history we carry with us into a burden. But it's a part of us. And what we choose to do with that part and our awareness is what counts. How we choose to carry what they left us. These next few weeks, we remember those that came before us. We remember what they did, even their mistakes. We would not be honoring them properly or ourselves if we did not remember their mistakes. They, those many years ago, and even not so many years ago, made mistakes so we could do better. They were teaching us even without knowing they were or meaning to do it. We have been given the chance to be perpetually better than they were. Every year that passes is a chance to perpetually be kinder than they were. Just something I've been thinking about. 
For the next few weeks, the town of Brayden will be hosting a group from out of town called The Faceless. Here's a list of behavioral guidelines Mayor Simon outlined in a press statement this morning regarding our new guests. Contrary to what their name might suggest, they do in fact have faces. However, checking is not recommended. Permission is required to look at them directly, face to face. I learned that the hard way. You may speak about them, but do not speak to them, unless they speak to you. If you need to initiate conversation for whatever reason, you must do so in a way that does not address them specifically, such as, you know, I'd really like to talk to a member of a mysterious society. I wonder if one is nearby. If they respond and identify themselves, it is safe to continue conversation. Their business is their business. Brayden is a town full of welcoming, open, neighborly people, but I must caution you to refrain from asking what brings them to town. Things will be revealed if they need to be. It's just a matter of time. It doesn't concern you. It's quite rude to stick your nose into other people's business, the mayor said. Members can be identified by the following qualities. Dark, form-concealing clothes, an uncanny strangeness, a fickle relationship with corporeal existence, a face that seems familiar but oh so forgettable, and inability to make ugly sunglasses look really good somehow. I don't even know how they do it, but anyways. When asked how long our guests would be staying, the mayor just sort of shrugged his cardigan-cloaked shoulders and said, Time is weird and dangerous, and also arguably fake. I mean, he's got a point. Anyways, if there were any members of some mysterious society staying in our town listening to this broadcast, I'd probably say something to them like, welcome, and I hope you have pleasant intentions for all our sakes, which we all know is a traditional Brayden greeting. The meteor shower has started, folks. I popped outside during the break and looked down into the dark void, my body held to the earth only by gravity and separated from that speckled abyss only by layers of invisible gas. It's beautiful. No matter how many shooting stars you've seen, something about them never grows old. Anyways. I could see the lights of the town all going dark like candles being snuffed out by a sudden wind. We'll be going dark here too in the next minute, but we'll still be able to send out some noise. One last cry into the dark to serenade you during this cosmic feat. Thanks for tuning in. And that's this week's show. Please check the show notes for links for both shows this week at sonicsociety.org. Join us next week when we take over whichever path we want. Ah, I see where you went there. <laughs> Until then, I'm Jack Ward. And I'm David Alt. Have a lovely day. Bye. The 
Sonic Society is written and produced weekly by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews, and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society by Creative Commons Licensing. The Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Every other week, right here on Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network, you get a brand new episode of Bells in the Battery, for which we apologize. However, if for some reason you can't get enough Bells in the Battery, and after you've asked a professional therapist for help, head over this way on Fridays. Friday Follies has all the old bells in the battery going back to 2006. You know, back in the prehistoric days when it sounded like this to get on the internet. <laughs> anyway, if you want to catch the old ancient bells in the battery, catch it on Friday Follies right here on the Mutual Audio Network. And we apologize in advance for that as well.